we're digressing from our magical mystery tour in the book of Luke because today is Palm Sunday and uh, next week is Easter. I encourage you to invite someone to come. The, the two main times when people who don't come to church come to church are Easter and Christmas and the way they come is simply you ask them. So uh, think about someone to ask and bring them. It'll be good. But this is Jesus' triumphal entry. This is Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat down on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Well, the final four continues to be in full swing. I don't know if you enjoyed the games yesterday, but there are some good games. Kentucky squeaking by Notre Dame. Uh, I'm excited to see Gonzaga and Duke at 5 o'clock. Uh, David and Goliath, I'm not sure, but there's going to be some great basketball. You know, ad revenue and viewage of the Final Four is up about 20% over last year. The Final Four is a cash cow. By the end of it, 200 million people will have watched this basketball tournament, and ad revenue alone will exceed $1 billion. Now, I said to myself, I'd love to go see the Final Four. I wonder what it costs to get some tickets to the Final Four. Uh, the average price, like ticket price, is, and, and you can't find it for this price now, is $1,363 for tickets for the Final Four. So for some of you, you might be able to rummage around in your seats and find said cash. For me, I might be knocking over a liquor store after preaching this sermon. But that is a lot of money. Competition is big business. Whether it's sports, the Final Four, or I don't know if you ever watched the Super Bowl, or the World Cup, all of these huge events that are ravenously followed by fans. We are a race that loves competition. And the truth of the matter is we always have loved competition. This is not a new type of idea here. Back in the time of Jesus, they had their equivalent of the NCAA tournament. In fact, it went on for 600 years. It was called the Gladiator Games. Crowds would gather in these massive coliseums to view uh, warriors pitted against each other fighting to the death. The Roman Colosseum sat uh, 70,000 people and the Circus Maximus actually sat 250,000 people in Rome. Millennia ago, as people came and these figures, these people who would fight on the, the floor of the Colosseum, these warriors, if they continued to live and win, would be worshipped as gods. And the bloodlust of the people would be satisfied. Most of these people were slaves 
who were enslaved fighting for their life. And the crowd would watch and cheer. Now why do I bring up the gladiator games? I bring them up because this story right here feels in many ways like a gladiator match that is about to happen. The crowds are swelling and cheering as their warrior enters into the arena. This one called Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, the one who has come to save. As he comes into Jerusalem to make things right, to deliver them from their enemy, the emperor of Rome. To set things right for the Jews. You can feel the energy swelling as they come behind and they lay their cloaks and they spread their palm branches. And yet something is amiss. Something isn't quite right with the expectation they have of this conquering king and the ultimate one they witness, the suffering servant. How is it that crowds can so cheer for someone and yet five days later cheer with equal ferocity, crucify him, crucify him? They've missed something. Have we? Is Palm Sunday a time of great celebration or a time of great sorrow? The answer is yes. Really depends on the Savior that you're looking for. See, the people wanted a general who would serve them. But God gave them a king who would save them. And much like the crowd, we as the spectators must also choose our king. Because Christ has come to give us victory by sacrificing himself and to give us life by dying. And so we must embrace the victory that we need, not the victory that we want. Well, we're going to look at three specific aspects of this passage. Number one, the king that they and we want. The king that we want. But then we're also going to look at the king that we get. The king we want and the king that we get. And finally, this brings us to point number three, the king that we choose. The king we want, the king we need, and the king we choose. Well, let's look at this first point, the king we want. As I said, the excitement has been boiling over because the Passover is about to begin. The Passover is the yearly feast in which everybody comes up to Jerusalem. Remember God as he delivered the Israelites, he uh, ordained this festival that was to occur, this Passover celebration. When they were to remember that God passed over them, instead killing the firstborn of Egypt, protecting these people and leading them out of captivity and slavery. And so the Passover is coming and it's a, it's a beautiful time of remembering, yes, God is for us. And here comes this one, Jesus. Everyone has heard about him. He's performed miracles. He's spoken audaciously that he is the truth, the way, the life, that he is the true temple. And lo and behold, he's at Bethany the night before of this story. He's dining at the home of Lazarus. Remember the Lazarus that he raised from the dead. That people saw. And a big banquet has been held for him at Lazarus' house. And people have come. And Jesus' enemies, the Jewish leadership and the Pharisees, have made plans to kill Jesus because they understand that this popularity is growing and it can't be stopped. And so as Jesus leaves Bethany, 
heading to Jerusalem. The word spreads and this sort of flash mob begins to come together. Along the way, Jesus requisitions a donkey. Verse 1, Now as they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey there. And if anyone asks you, what are you doing? Simply tell them, the king needs it, and they will do so. How does Jesus know all of these things? Well, he's God. He's the king. Everything has been foreordained. And Jesus knows that he must ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Because as verse 4 says, that this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. And as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, sitting on this donkey, they see this image and they remember the scriptures and they conclude the Messiah has come. And so they welcome him. The first thing they do is they cut palm branches. And back then, palm branches were the symbol of victory. When the emperor would come back from a battle, he would be arrayed in a toga that had palm branches on it. If a lawyer won an important battle, he would put palm branches on the outside of his door. Indeed, even when athletes would uh, become victorious in a particular race, they would receive the palms, the palm branches. They're a sign of victory. And so they cut the palm branches to wave to this victorious coming king. They spread their cloaks on the ground. We even do this, don't we? We give people the red carpet treatment. A special place for them to go to, to revere them, to lift them up, to lay down our loyalty to them by laying down our cloak. As they shout, in verse 9, going before him, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. This word Hosanna literally means save us. Now they must know what they're doing. Remember, we're in the time of the Pax Romana. Okay, the Romans were great about peace. What they would do is wipe out everybody and say, now it's peaceful. And these people are fomenting a rebellion. They are giving the palm leaves to Jesus. They're laying down the cloak. They're saying, save us, save us. Blessed is the one who comes. This is outright sedition. But their conqueror has come. Their gladiator has come. See, over the last 400 years, as Jerusalem and the Jewish nation has been under the thumb of the Romans, save us, Hosanna, has slowly morphed into deliver us. Deliver us from our external oppressors. There was one who would come that would be a warrior. One who would battle and overthrow our oppressors. And lo and behold, here he is. Deliver us. And so as Jesus comes, riding on a donkey, there has to be some scratching of the heads. Because when a warrior rode into town to do battle, he rode in on a white horse, a steed. It was only if he came in peace that he rode in on a donkey. And Jesus rides in on a donkey. And as Jesus approaches Jerusalem and the crowds are cheering for him, he begins to weep. He says, if you even you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And Jesus goes on to say, Jerusalem will be destroyed because they did not recognize him who came that day to them. 
A weeping gladiator doesn't make sense. Then he actually goes into the temple and being enraged at the rampant commercialism that's occurring proceeds to turn over the tables and throw this ginormous tantrum. The people have to be disappointed. Their vision was for a conquering king, a, a savior, and yet we see someone that's not like that at all. You know, there were not only slaves that fought in the gladiator games. Free men were, fought in as well. And not even necessarily the lowest class. All the way through. And what was the motivation of people to fight in the gladiator games? It was the lure of the crowd. The taste of the glory, so to speak. Whoever became famous, literally, children would buy or create clay figures of their favorite warrior and play with them in the streets. Women would dip their hairpins in the blood of certain gladiators to show their loyalty to him. They would sponsor particular products just like they do now. The trade-off was simply this. Gladiator, give us a good show, perform for us, and we'll give you the glory. See, there's a deal being made here, a barter to be struck. As the crowd is saying to Jesus, be our man. Not save us, Jesus, serve us. And do so, and we will worship you. But Jesus refuses. See, the people wanted Jesus to do something for them, but Jesus came to do something to them. So who is the Savior that you are searching for today? really depends on what you want to be saved from. When you shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, are you really shouting, save me? Or are you really shouting, serve me? Serve me, conquering king. I want to be secure. Protect me financially. Build up my stores. Protect me in such a way that nothing can come in. Nothing can hurt me. Give me love, Savior. Give me passion, Give me marriage to that special someone. Make me have something special. Provide that for me and I will worship you. I will serve you. Give me passion. Give me privilege. Give me a good job. Give me standing in the community. Conquer these things in my way. And I will shout, Hosanna. Hosanna to you. But when he doesn't, are you and I not bitter? I gave you my worship. Why didn't you give me what I wanted? But Jesus has come to save you and me from far more than that. He's come to save us from ourselves. He's come to save us from death. And so you and I must change our expectations as we see this figure coming into Jerusalem. He comes not to serve us. He comes not to battle these pity things. He comes to battle death itself. He comes to face death in our place that we might find life. No, we need more than simply the king we want. God knows the king we need. And so this brings me to my second point, the king we need. I don't know if any of you know how the gladiator game started. It wasn't just two guys in the road started fighting and all of a sudden someone said, hey, this is really cool. Let's do more of it. Historians have actually searched this out. 
And the original gladiator games were part of funeral ceremonies. Wealthy aristocrats um, uh, would fight. The, the families would bring uh, these slaves or condemned prisoners to the funeral site. And they would fight right there. And they would shed blood and one would die fighting for his life. See, the Jews, the Roman writers, Tertullian and Festus, believed that human blood helped to purify the deceased person's soul. So these contests were a, a crude attempt at human sacrifice. Blood being shed to protect the one who had died. In fact, the first big funeral gladiator game was during the reign of Julius Caesar. He staged bouts where there were hundreds of gladiators who fought to the death in honor of his deceased father and daughter. See, it was blood being shed. Maybe blood even being shed nobly with honor that paid the price for death. You know, they're right in the middle of the gladiator games with Passover in a way, aren't we? Because are we not experiencing a blood rite? Are they not all coming so that a lamb might be slain? So that blood might be spilled? That the nation would not perish because of their evil? But it wasn't noble blood. Oh sure, they tried to find the most spotless lamb they could. But it was just a lamb. And it was just for a year. And so for hundreds of hundreds of years they would go back. And the lamb would be slain. There is a blood price on all of our heads. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as every man is appointed once to die and after that to face judgment. Jesus tells a story about a landowner who owned a vineyard and he rented it out to some tenants so that they would cultivate the vineyard. And at a certain time he came, he, he sent some of his servants to collect the rent. And they beat them and sent them away. The king, the landowner was angry and so he sent more. These they killed. Finally he sent his son. For he said, of course they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said, quick, let's kill him. And then the inheritance will be ours. So what will the landowner do when he comes to his land? He will destroy all of those rebellious people and give the land to people who will cultivate its fruit for the king. It is Thomas Jefferson who said, Indeed, I tremble when I regard that my God is just and his justice will not sleep forever. There is a death penalty on our head. And the reason I know that is because we die. And so we are the ones who have been condemned to die in the arena. And Jesus comes to save. He comes to bring peace. Right before this passage in Matthew 16, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and rebuked him and said, This will never happen to you. That's not the king we want. Go in there and blow them all away. You're the son of God. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand. Paul says in Romans, while we were still weak, 
when we were still weak and condemned. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Christ has come to sacrifice. He's come to save and he's come to die. When a warrior would fall on the battlefield in the Colosseum, all eyes would look to the emperor because the emperor held life and death in his hands and the emperor would extend out his thumb. Up meant he lived and down meant he died. And Christ comes. He's already given his sentence for us. But Christ the righteous one comes and stands alone on the field of battle. And God's father, the emperor, turns his thumb down. We don't need a gladiator, my friends, to cheer for. We need a savior. We must understand our plight that we have all received the thumbs down from our refusal to honor God. Have we not loved God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind? Have we loved our neighbor as ourself? Have we acted with honor and integrity and justice toward our fellow man? Indeed, I tremble when I reflect that God is just and that his justice will not sleep forever. See, we're in jail right now in this place called planet Earth. And you can get content in prison. But sooner or later, you have a date with destiny. And so you must know your need. Who can wash away my sins? Who can change the verdict? And you must know your hope. I cheer for Christ because he comes to die in my place. Christ has come to give us victory by sacrificing himself and to give us life by dying. So we must embrace the victory that we need, not the victory that we want. So the choice lies before us today. The king we want or the king we need? The king of the crowds, the king of the lost. You know, the emperors, when they would, one would die, the next would succeed them. And it was a genetic succession, succession, on and on. There was no election to be held. It simply was the next person in line. But the emperors understood that they needed to curry favor with the people. In fact, that's kind of how the emperor games continued and got started, to appease the people. And so these emperors who were humans put on these gladiator games. Jesus, the true son of God, the true emperor, demands no worship. We have a choice. What is free will? And we most certainly have it as people. Simply this, choose what you want. Choose who you love. And so as Jesus walks through the streets of Jerusalem, we see different perspectives Matthew 21.10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? 
You know, some people never, ever get too close. They accept the answer, whoever it was. Who is this guy? Well, he's this. Okay. Don't want to get too close. We're too busy. Got too many things to work on. Too many other champions to put our money on. And so, we can never get close. We can trust others' opinions. We can never take the time and treat him as somewhat of some sort of phenomenon. Or, we can treat Jesus Christ as a great religious teacher. Look at verse 11. The answer, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. He's not the Savior. He's not the King. He's a prophet. He's somebody who's come to give us a message, you know. Do this and you will live. Christianity is entirely different from any other religion in the world because in every other religion you are saved by following the advice of the founder. But in Christianity you're saved by the founder. I'm not looking to be saved. I'm just looking for some good advice. And so I'm going to do the church thing. I'm going to show up. I'm going to write my check. Maybe volunteer once every eight weeks. And I'm going to keep my nose clean. And that's the Savior I'm going to worship. And by gosh, it's going to be good enough. You may never get close. You may just simply regard him as a great religious teacher. Or you may regard him as who he truly is. The King. You know, Jesus amidst all of this going to his death, he never disdained or declined worship. As they shouted, shouted Hosanna, he, ne he never said stop that. He did not get on the donkey. Indeed, when the Pharisees said, tell these people to stop shouting out, he said, if they were to keep quiet, the very stones would cry out. He is the king. And the reason he is the true king is easy. He's the one who loves his people. There's a phenomenon that happened in the history of the gladiator games that only didn't happen that often. We said that slaves and convicted criminals were gladiators. Even free people might step in and be gladiators. But every now and then, an emperor would come into the ring to be a gladiator. Caligula did it. Titus did it. Hadrian did it. Indeed, the deranged Commodus, remember from the movie Gladiator, was said to be a dead eye with a spear. And all of these emperors, they would come in to do battle. But certainly they would choose wisely with who they did battle with, right? They either pull someone from the crowd or an inexperienced warrior that they had drugged up. Because the point was to go in and to have the adulation of the crowd. When Commodus would kill someone, he'd immediately award himself a prize of a million Roman sesteres for his hard work. He would come for honor and glory. Emperors come for glory. But never, ever did an emperor come into the arena to die. Jesus Christ, the true emperor, the king of the universe, came not for the glory, but for the shame. Came not for the honor but that you would receive it. Not that he would receive the huge prize, but that we would receive sonship and daughtership. An emperor who trades his life for a slave, 
What kind of God is this? This, my friends, is grace. This is a true king. Why do I follow him? Because he is the true king. He certainly demands my worship, yes. But I follow him because he loves me. And so we must recognize and worship the crucified king who comes to save us rather than the imposter king who comes to serve us. Every one of you will leave this place and you will follow a king. Just as you follow a team or follow a school, it's hardwired into us. We are worshiping beings. So who is your God? And will he come into the arena and die for you? Follow him. Live for him. Make a decision. You have my sword. You have my honor. You have my life. Love him and worship him. Fall down. Give him everything. Is he not worthy of it? Is he not worthy of your life? And finally, proclaim him. So when somebody comes by you at work and says, Who is this that you keep talking about and this group that you keep hanging out with? Oh, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings, who died for all those who believe in him and rose again that you might be children of God. We worship the best king of all. The one who gave us victory by sacrificing himself. And gave us life by standing that day before the emperor and receiving the thumbs down. But even death could not keep hold on the conquering king. So embrace the victory that you need. The love and recognition of Jesus Christ. Live for him. Love him. Proclaim him. And embrace the victory you need. Not the imposter victory that you want. Let's pray. Lord, oh, to be there that day. Who would we be as we saw you entering into Jerusalem on that donkey? Serve us. Make us everything we want. Lord, I confess that often that's me. Jesus, but you want so much for that than me. You came to save me from myself, to save me from death, and to bring me life by dying in my place. Jesus, I pray that every single person in this room would understand your tremendous gift. Father, and they would bow their knee to your son, that they might experience what it means to truly be free and to receive the thumbs up, to be called righteous, to be called family in your family because of this unbelievable conqueror, Lord. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.